God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from New Life with campuses in Kearney, North Platte, and Ogallala. Here's Pastor Jeff Baker. We live in a me-centric world, and our culture here in America especially, it, it drives a me-centric lifestyle. It's all about me. Um, but this is not the first time that it happened. In fact, from the beginning of time all the way until somewhere in the 1500s when Nicholas Copernicus, an astronomer, shows up on the scene and he starts studying the known solar system, which he only knows as what he believes is the universe, but all he can see is what he can see. And he starts studying and he's running these mathematical models and he discovers this epiphany. He discovers that, you know, um, actually the sun doesn't revolve around the earth. And he comes up with this theory based on mathematical models that the sun doesn't revolve around the earth. I think the earth revolves around the sun. And he starts studying this out and he keeps working on it all the way to the point where he publishes a book on the topic, but he knows that the Catholic Church who runs everything in the 1500s is going to be anti this. He's going to be called a heretic so he doesn't publish the book. He waits until he's on his deathbed in 1543 and Nicholas Copernicus publishes the book on his deathbed. He dies. People start reading the book and the Catholic Church doesn't know exactly what to do with the book. So they wait until 1616 when they finally go, we are like, we're putting the kibosh on this book. Nobody can read this book, you know, burning Nicholas Copernicus's book. However, there was this one little dude who read the book before the Catholic Church got the full kibosh on it, and his name is Galileo. Galileo reads Nic Nicholas Copernicus. And he reads his papers on this idea that the earth is not the center, that we aren't the center of it all. Because that's what man thought. Man thought we're the center of it all. Everything revolves around us. Even that big thing out there called the sun. We are so important. All things revolve around us. The whole universe revolves around us. And Galileo takes Copernicus' studies and he starts building on them. And he uses now the new modern telescope, this refracting telescope that lets him see things more clearly than he's ever seen them before. And he comes to the same conclusion that yes, this must be true. So he publishes a book while he's still alive in 1632, of which the Catholic Church immediately gets a hold of, and they say, no, no, we're banning this book. In fact, Galileo, you need to stand in front of all of your peers and in front of all the important people, and you need to renounce this fact. You renounce it right now. The center of the universe is not the sun, it's us, it's earth. And Galileo had to renounce those things, and then Galileo got put in house arrest for the rest of his life until he dies. Sir Isaac Newton comes along. He studies Nicholas Copernicus. He studies Galileo. He comes to the same conclusion now with a newly updated telescope that even has more capacity to see things even more clearly. And finally, with this clarity of vision, they believe what, what, uh, what Nicholas uh, had said. They believe what Galileo said. And Sir Isaac Newton, he publishes his paper in 1688. Guys, it took 140 plus years for those who ran the thought process for mankind at the time, the Catholic Church, it, it took them 140 plus years to finally come to this spot where they said, okay, we surrender. It's not about us. We're not at the center of it all. There's something else that's greater. 
Nicholas Copernicus was quoted as saying this. He said that in the center of all rests the sun. For who would place the lamp of a very beautiful temple in another or better place than this from which it can illuminate everything at the same time? I love that. Of course, any, anybody would take something as amazing as the sun and put it at the center so that 360 degrees all the way around the sphere, it's pumping out the light so that all humanity can see it and glean and be guided by it. So this is our same challenge today. Like, who is this all made for? Me. What is this all about? Me. Who's at the center? Me. Can I just challenge you and ask you the question today? Who, who, who really is at the center for you? Is it you or is it the sun? Which one? It's either you or it's the sun. And it cannot be both. I always believe this, that the, the insecurity of not being at the center, that insecurity is what caused those people for over that period of time when the discovery happened until they eventually had to surrender and say, I'm not at the center. It was their insecurity of, I can't be at the center, that forced them to believe these false ideologies. So if it happened for them between 1543 and 1688, I'm telling you it can happen for you. That you're, it's possible that you're believing false ideology. You're believing false doctrine. You've got a false sense of security that actually is driving insecurity in your life. And that insecurity is going to be damaging to you in many, many different ways because it's the insecurity, insecurity of our lives that drives the me-centric instead of a heliocentric lifestyle. Heliocentric, the sun at the center. Me-centric, you're at the center. Christ-centric, Jesus at the center. Versus me-centric, you at the center. And it's our insecurity that drives us to a false ideology of believing that I am actually at the center. So what does this, it's all about me, produce in you? Some things you're not going to like, but I'm going to give you three scriptures really quick. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, it says this. I give, I, uh, I give each of you this warning. Listen to the warning. Don't think that you're better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. Guys, insecurity. Insecurity is what causes us to really start to think that we're better than we actually are. Do you see that in that scripture? It says, hey, look, I'm giving you a warning. Don't think of yourself better than what you actually are. Insecurity is what drives that. It's my emotional insecurity. It's like, I just don't feel good about me, right? I, I need to put on a front so that other people can see me in the, in the light that I want them to see me in. And it's that emotional insecurity that keeps putting me at the center. What happens to you? When you keep thinking that you're better than what you actually are, you're lying to yourself. That, that scripture also said this to, to us, that emotional insecurity causes me to evaluate or compare myself to you versus comparing myself to the faith that God has given us or to God's standard. I'm going to tell you right now, anytime I'm comparing myself to you, that's going to be an unhealthy outcome. If I'm comparing myself to you, I don't speak as good as you. I don't have as much money as you. I don't, I don't get as much privilege as you. I don't have as much freedom as you. When I'm comparing myself to you, I'm a very insecure person versus comparing myself to the standard of faith that God has given me. That's what we're called to do. And anytime you're comparing yourself to another human being, it's going to be a me-centric lifestyle that you're living. That's that false ideology. So it's, that's, it produces these crazy things inside of you. 
emotional insecurity. But what else does it's all about me produce? Take a look at another scripture. This next scripture comes in the Old Testament, and it's God giving a message to a man by the name of Zerubbabel. Come on, someone say that, Zerubbabel. That's just a good name, all right? Zerubbabel. Uh, Darian, name your kid Zerubbabel. That's a cool name. I'm just going to tell you, it's going to be a new name. It's going to be a new one. You'll be the only one that has it. It's going to be awesome, okay? Zerubbabel, and God speaking to him about rebuilding God's temple through a messenger. And this is what he says in Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Then he said to me, God, speaking through a messenger to Zerubbabel, this is what the Lord says to, to Zerubbabel. It's not by, what's those next words? It's not by force, it's nor by strength, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord of heaven's army. See, let me tell you what like insecurity, emotional insecurity causes. It causes you to rely on your strength instead of the power that the Holy Spirit can give you. It causes you to rely on your abilities more than what the Holy Spirit can give you. Now, let me, let me illustrate that for you. I don't know about you, but I like power tools. Is there any men or women, because women like power tools as well, any men or women that like power tools in the room? Okay, three of us. I love this. This is going to be, oh, and I saw a couple of hands. Okay, so people that raise their hand about power tools, I'm not really sure you're all in on power tools. Like, if you like power tools or something guttural, it happens from down here, and it's like, yeah. Like, it's like, or, it's, or it could be higher, yeah, but, but it doesn't matter. It, it still comes from someplace in here. Power tools are the best, right? Like, look, here's the thing. Like, I, I don't have really big trees in my yard like some of you have, and I don't have a lot of them. I've got some more sampling kind of trees and some things that are starting to kind of, like, produce. Uh, my house was built in 2006, and you guys know they put the smallest little trees there because I want to save money. And so now those trees are, you know, starting to, like, create some shade. But I got these other things that they grow, like, crazy, and they grow out of my, they grow out of my other plants, and they're like these, they're nothing at the beginning of the summer. Halfway through the summer, they look like little trees that have grown up. Does anybody know what those things are even called? They're just called big weeds, all right? That's what they're called. And these big weeds are no fun to cut down with a handsaw. And so I was like, they're too wet, right? And I'm trying to cut these things down, and there's so many of them, and I'm like just getting frustrated. I'm like, what am I doing? And so I ran down to the hardware store, and I bought myself a chainsaw. And you know what a chainsaw does to those things? It's like this, like, it's gone. Like, wham, it's gone. I'm thinking to myself, like, why would I ever want to use a hand tool again when I own a chainsaw? And so now I'm trying to find all kinds of uses for this chainsaw. Like, honey, do you want to do some interior decorating? You want to take a wall down? I got a chainsaw. She's like, don't we have to cut the power first? No, it will cut the power. It'll do it all. It'll do it all. And by the way, if anyone's watching this, this is not a video for any type of evaluation of how to change your house with a chainsaw. But anyways, so I have that. The other thing I, I have is this. Like when I bought this house 10 years ago, uh, I put a sub-panel, that's called electricity, in my garage, okay, so that I could put this massive air compressor so I could drive some air-powered tools. Anybody have air-powered tools? It's going to be a much smaller crowd on that one. Okay, but those people are louder. They are louder. Air-powered tools. Let me tell you about this. So my wife's like, I think there's something wrong with my brakes, honey, and I got to take the car to Kansas City, so can you look at it? And I was just like, I get to use my air-powered tools? Absolutely. Right? So she got me, guys. When I told her I wanted to buy an air compressor, my wife was all on board, and I had no idea why. 
right? Because normally wives are like, why do we need that? We need a toaster. And I'm like, no, we need an air compressor. I'm pretty sure we need a big air compressor. Why do we need one that big? Well, because when I use it, I never want to run out of air. And so I get out there and I change her tires. And when I go to change her tires, I feel like a NASCAR pit crew all by myself. I get down on the one knee. I got it. And I'm like, vroom, 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 right? And, and, I, and then I just go, okay, here we go. And I look at it, and the lug nuts are still on. So I got some work to do. I got, I got a little work to do. I'm not saying I got it all figured out. But I am going to say this to you. Changing a tire, pulling a tire off a car, it's a lot more fun with air tools than it ever was with hand tools. A lot more fun. So why is it that our insecurity causes us to rely on our own abilities versus the power tool of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Wouldn't you rather use the power tool? Wouldn't you rather use the chainsaw versus the handsaw? Wouldn't you rather use the air versus the hand? I mean, wouldn't you rather? And if you've never done it, just say yes, right? Because I'm going to tell you right now, that insecurity causes you to do all the hard labor, all the hard work when God's like, my spirit lives in you. The power of the Holy Spirit to overcome obstacles, the power of the Holy Spirit to press through difficult seasons, the power of the Holy Spirit to bring pure joy, the power of the Holy Spirit to love, to love purely, the power of the Holy Spirit. Insecurity will always cause you to go the opposite direction. Philippians 4.3 tells us this, here's what it's all about me produces, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You know what insecurity, leave that scripture for a second, you know what insecurity causes you to see in that scripture? Can anybody guess? For I can do everything, period. Maybe for some of you, I can do everything, exclamation mark. That's what insecurity causes us to say. Instead of the security that we have in Christ, which causes us to see the rest of the scripture. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Which means this, it's all about him. It's a Christ-centric life that I'm living versus a me-centric life that I'm living. And guys, when, when you live with I can do everything, you put yourself in direct opposition with God. In fact, James chapter 4, verse 6 says this, that God opposes the proud. I don't know about you, but it's not a good place to live with emotional insecurity that causes you to be so prideful that you can do all things and you've got it under control. And the bottom line is this, that it's, it's, it's an all about me lifestyle is a scary lifestyle to live. It's a scary lifestyle to live. I'm going to tell you right now, the scariest thing I know let me tell you the scariest thing Jeff Baker knows. You might be like, well, man, Jeff, you're, you're a tough dude. Like, you've done a lot of things in your life. Uh, you've done all kinds of crazy stuff. Like, what's the scariest thing that you, you have? The scariest thing I have is Satan. Why? Why is that the scariest thing to me? Well, because Satan is the one that's the tempter of my soul. And sin is what he tempts me with. And if there's one thing that I'm fearful of, it's sin. Why? Because sin is the only thing that has the power to corrupt my soul to a place where it brings spiritual death and separation from God forever. I don't know about you, but to me, that's the scariest thing, right? And so when you think about this, like, it's all about me lifestyle, where did that it's all about me lifestyle come from? And it came from Satan. The prophet Isaiah wrote about Satan when he was talking about his heart, and he said this about him in Isaiah chapter 14. He says, for you said to yourself, Satan, right, that you will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars, that I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high God. It was a love of self. 
This love of self, self is what brought his demise. It was Satan living in the utopia of heaven with God, the creator of all things, with a perfect love, and Satan couldn't handle it, and he became me-centric instead of Christ-centric, and that love of self is what brought his demise. I'm just going to tell you right now, you cannot have a love of self and a love of God. It's impossible. You're going to love one more than you're going to love the other. You can never have both. But this is the battle of every person that's in this room, every person that's listening to my voice. There is this never-ending battle of us wanting to be lovers of self. But I'm telling you, the demise of it is where Satan is right now, separated from God for eternity, forever fighting against God, thinking that someday he will win, celebrating when Jesus died on the cross, and trembling in fear when Jesus rose again from the grave. I'm telling you right now, insecurity will drive you to a house built right next to Satan if that's what we choose to go with. That's the power of emotional insecurity in our lives. It drives you to be the idol that you worship instead of God. Guys, that's not the road any of us want to walk down. It's not where we want to be. But this is the society that we live in. In fact, we actually live in a world that promotes a me-centric lifestyle. It says, hey, take care of self because no one else is going to do it. You only live once. Yeah, please yourself. Make yourself happy. You only live once. Get whatever you want. And this is the reason why so many people are in debt. This is the reason why in our nation, we have the highest level of credit card debt than ever before. Why? Because a bunch of insecure people are trying to make themselves happy, living in this me-centric lifestyle, and they brought all of this extra weight and all this extra you know, guilt and shame and condemnation upon themselves. I'm telling you, a me-centric world doesn't end In a pleased world, a me-centric world always ends in a troubled world. And the Bible talked about this. It said this is the way it was going to be in the days in which you and me live. 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Listen to the kind of difficult times it says. It starts out, difficult times. It says here's how difficult it will be. For people will love only themselves and their money, and they will be boastful and proud. In fact, it will lead to scoffing of God. That's a me-centric lifestyle. A me-centric lifestyle ends up pointing their finger to God, blaming God because their money ran out, because their love of self didn't please them the way they wanted it to. A me-centric life ends up causing you to turn your back and point your finger at God, exactly what Satan did. So how do we fix this? How do we get out of this? What's the solution of it's all about me lifestyle? I mean, how do you avoid this emotional insecurity of you being at the center of it all? How do you break free from this love of self well, let me give you a couple of thoughts on that. Number one would be this. You have to, you have to know who you are. you got to know who you are. Insecurity causes you to get trapped in this like, world of, like, I've lost who I really am. Why? Because you end up with all these masks on. Like, you put a mask on uh, to try to like, live a certain lifestyle to please the people that you're friends with. You put a certain mask on to present yourself at a certain economic status while your, your debts are building up in the background. You put a mask on, right, to love someone because the way that you need to be filled, and so you, you jeopardize what real love is and you put this mask on. You put these masks on over and over and over again until the to the point where you don't even know who you are. Well, Jesus gives us who you really are. He says this in Mark chapter 12. It's going to be different than what you might think. He says, and you must do this. This is who you really are. Love the Lord your God with what? All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Not part of it, 
Let me tell you who you are. You are a lover of God. You were designed to love God with everything. Not part of things, but all of things. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That's who you are. And then Jesus goes on and he goes, and the second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh-oh. What? I thought we were just talking about how damaging it is to love yourself. And then Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. If I stop right there in Scripture and I walk out of this building and I go out onto the streets and I drive my car to Omaha or downtown someplace where people are going to be and I open up this Scripture and I hold it out to them and they go, what stands out to you about the Scripture? I'm going to tell you right now, people are going to start underlining, oh, I have to love myself. If I'm going to love others, I have to learn how to love myself if I'm going to love God. People will flip it on its head. Why? Because that's the manipulation of the enemy at work in the life that we live. Nothing about God's word, nothing about the teaching of Jesus ever promoted or gave you the credibility to be a lover of yourself. That is not even what he was talking about there. He was basically driving home a whole different perspective. He wasn't saying put yourself first so that you can learn to put others first. That's not what he's saying. He's going, look, you got to show others the same love and the same respect and the same patience that you want to get. It's where we get the golden rule from. Is that where we get the idolization of self? We get the golden rule from this principle. And can I just say this? Let me just drive home a point that's going to go poof to your mind. That if you're truly living the first command, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, if you're doing that, there's no more fuel in the tank to be a lover of self. So where does the fuel for a me-centric life come from? It comes from not loving God with all. When there's anything left over, let me tell you what happens with the leftovers. Okay, the leftovers of not loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength turn into the love of self. That's what happens. That's why I think Jesus said, look, let me tell you the first thing you do. You live your life like this. This is who you are. And if you find your identity in loving the Lord your God with everything that you have, there won't be anything left to be a lover of self. Then you will truly know then what it means to love others. Because you will show the same love and respect and patience towards others that you want to receive back. Why? Because all of it's going to flow out of the fact that God has become first in our lives. So how, how do you overcome a me-centric life? Guys, we've got to lean in harder on what it looks like just to love God with a little bit more. You love God with a little bit more. And that little bit more means that you love yourself a little bit less. And me-centric dies and Christ-centric comes alive. Are you with me so far? Let me wrap up this, this thought. Let me go to the next point, all right? Uh, here's the second thing. If you want to debunk that me-centric lifestyle, you have to say no to you. I know you don't like that, right? But you got to say no to you. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Some versions say it this way. You have to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. You gotta know how to say no to you. And to do that means you have to surrender. Our surrendering to Christ is what kills a me-centric life and it brings about a Christ-centric life. When I deny myself, when I say no to me, I'm actually saying yes to Christ. And so how, how do you say no to you? Let me tell you a few ways. You use spiritual disciplines to say no to you. Did you realize that when you take time out of your schedule, and go, hey, for these next 10 minutes, I'm going to stop everything and I'm going to pray. That you're saying yes to God, which means you're saying no to you. Did you know that when you take 
those t- another 10 minutes or another 15 or 30 or an hour or whatever you're going to take and you actually read God's word and you study God's word, that when you're saying yes to God's word, you're saying no to you? Did you realize that when you, you serve, when you serve the needs of others, or you serve on a ministry team here, that the time that you're serving the principles and the, and the purposes of God, that you're saying no to doing the things that you want to do, and you're saying yes to the things that God wants you to do? Did you realize that that's part of how you say no to self? Did you realize that when, when you give of your finances to God, that you are saying yes to God, which means this, you're saying no to self? Spiritual disciplines are there not just so that you grow to know more about God. They're not an annoyance in your life. They're a blessing in your life so that you can learn to say no to you and get me-centric out of the way and get Christ-centric into the center of the focus of your life. That's how important they are. You're growing in the knowledge of God. You're growing in your relationship with God, but you're also denying yourself while you're saying yes to Jesus. The last one that I want to tell you about is found in Matthew chapter 20. Jesus tells this amazing parable. He tells it about, a, about really a, a farmer, a man that owns farmland. We got farmers here, right? So I guarantee you that we're in an agricultural uh, state. We'll get this. The farmer has some workers. They start at 7 in the morning, and they're getting some work done. The farmer goes into town and recognizes, hey, there's some people standing on the corner that are in need of work, and he hires more workers at 9 o'clock, and he brings them out, and they start working. And then he goes back in for some lunch and he finds some guys standing around at noon and he hires them and he takes them out to the farm and they start working. And then he goes back at three o'clock because he needs a Red Bull. Come on, everybody knows it's a long day, right? And so he goes in, he gets his Red Bull at three o'clock and he finds some people and he hires them and he brings them out. And then at 5 p.m., by the way, which this is the part of the story you're not going to like, because at 5 p.m. he goes back out again for whatever reason, probably because something broke down at the farm. Come on, somebody. He goes back at 5 p.m. and he, he sees there's a couple of more people and he asks them, hey, why aren't you guys working? And they go, well, no one invited us. He goes, come on, come with me. And he brings them out to his farm and they start working until 7 p.m. It's a 12-hour day. And at 7 p.m. he pulls all the workers together and he goes, guys, good job. We got it done. We got the days done. This is awesome. Um, hey, you guys have started at 5. Come here. And in front of the entire crowd, he, he, he pounds out 100, 200, 300, 400, 500 bucks. There you go. There's a full day's wage. And the guys that started at 5 only worked till 7 are blown away. And they walk away and they're like, I'll work for that guy anytime. And the guys at 3 o'clock come, 100, 200, 300, 400, 500. He gives them 500 bucks. And those guys are like, what? This is amazing. Man, I love you. They give them a hug and they walk away. The guys at noon get the 500 bucks. The guys at 9 get the 500 bucks. The guys that have been there all day were thinking to themselves, ha ha. This is awesome. We're going to get paid a full day's wage, and you know he's going to give us a bonus because we were here at the very beginning. And he pulls them up there and he gives them one, two, three, four, five. And they're like, hey, well, these guys just showed up at five o'clock and they only worked two hours. They got paid the same amount that I got paid. And he looks them in the eye and he goes, well, isn't that what you agreed to? Well, yeah, that's what I agreed to. And he turns around and he asks another guy a question, well, who's the landowner? Well, you're the landowner. Is it illegal for me to pay the guys that worked at five, $500 and pay you the same? No. Am I the, am I the owner? Can I do what I want with my money? Yeah, you can. But to see, there's something in the heart of those guys that had worked there all day. This is what was in their heart. It's not fair. It's not fair. Can I say to you that life's not fair? And if there's one thing that's going to keep driving this me-centric lifestyle is when you keep living uh, it's not fair life. It's not fair. Why do they get... Why do they got the better house than we have? It's not fair. Why do they get more vacation time than I get? It's not fair. 
It's not fair. Why are their kids better than my kids? It's not fair. It's not fair. And this is not fair idea. It drives this insecurity inside of us that starts causing us to compare. And comparison is what drives the, it's all about me. How do you solve that? Be content. Just be content. Learn to be content with what you have. Learn to be content with what God's given you. Guys, contentment, like God, thank you. Thank God for what you do have. Contentment crushes comparison, which crushes its me-centric life. When you're content, your focus is more on thank you, God, for what you've given me, which is a Christ-centric life. It crushes. It's all about me. What really fuels a life that's content? It's simple. In fact, you're not going to like it. You're going to wish that I gave you something more deep. But here's the truth. What fuels a life of contentment? When you can simply say, God loves me. When you're confident, God loves me. If you can say, God loves me, that's going to make a heart content. That's going to put Jesus at the center. That's going to dethrone you and let Jesus be the king of your heart. So does God love you? When you get to the point where you can confidently say, God, you love me. See, what's going to happen is this. God, you you love me, but. Or, God, you, you love me, right? Or, Yes, God loves me. And you walk away, but yeah, but he doesn't like this. He doesn't like that. He's like, some of you can't even hardly wrap your head around the fact that God loves me because you see all of the craziness of your life. I just want you to know today, God loves you. He loves you just the way you are. Oh, there are certain things that he's going to change in your life. There's no doubt about that. Why? Because God loves you. There's certain things that God's going to erase from your life, right? Why? Because God loves you. But church, I'm going to tell you right now, when you can say God loves me, that stirs up contentment in your heart, that crushes comparison, that dethrones you, that ends up throning Christ to be the king of your life. That's where security comes from. When you say God loves me and it becomes a Christ-centric world instead of a me-centric world, guys, you got something going on now. That's where true security comes from. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Jeff Baker at New Life. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, Check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.